Welcome to the Wheel of Sport, brought to you by Melbourne's Turnstile Network. This is the podcast home to the greatest sports stories ever told. My name's Ian McNally and with me is Matt Lavery. Hello there. How are you? Yeah, very well, Matt. Uh, we'll get the wheel spinning straight away because oh, wow. I'm so excited about this one and I don't even know whether I'm going to get a topic that I can do one on. Maybe it'll be you, maybe it'll be me. Probably me because th- this episode is one of a kind. One of a kind. Well, one of a kind. It's a new topic. It's so far, that topic is one of a kind because wow. we've never had one of a kind before. It's amazing that it's been on the wheel for this long and never made an appearance. I suppose that's just the way probability works. That, that feels against all odds. Maybe it, we- <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not against all odds, Matt. I know you like that, that was topic, last week. <laughs> but it is, um, it is one of a kind and... It you seems, better take it. Well, it seems fitting, actually, that it's all about probability because one industry where probability is very important and one sport is the sport associated with the turf, horse racing. Right. Now, horse racing clearly is very probability-laden. I'm not a, necessarily a great fan of horse racing. It's not something that I go to or watch on TV. Mainly, I went to the Melbourne Cup one year and I worked out the probability for myself. I was thinking about having a few bets and, you know, enjoying the day. And I got there. The company in Australia is called the TAB. The TAB. The TAB, yeah, (laughs) for short. (laughs) And they have about 30 windows, 30 kiosks at the Melbourne Cup on just on the general admission in one section. Mm. And 29 of them you can put bets on and one of them pays out. That was enough probability for me to, I just didn't have a bet all day. <laughs> so wow. I went to Melbourne Cup and just stood in a field and okay. some horses went by. So Had a beer? No, because the beer's terrible. Oh my goodness. And I'm a bit of a beer snob. So, it, you know, it just wasn't ideal for me. And I'm stood in a suit. I felt like I was at work. <laughs> Every everyone, you know, you can dress your best at the races and still feel underdressed as well. Mm. Still feel like you haven't made an effort because everyone makes such an effort. It's amazing. They do, don't they? Yeah. It's incredible. But I'm going to focus in for this one, one of a kind, because this is a jockey who is exceptional in many, many respects because he was born on the 5th of November in 1935. Now, that's Guy Fawkes Day in, in UK parlance. <laughs> bonfire night. Bonfire night. And this, this jockey, he saw some fireworks. By the age of 12, 1947, he'd already won the chase at Haydock Park. What? 12. What are his parents doing? <laughs> Letting him... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he actually comes from a background of... Uh, horse riders mm-hmm. and people involved in the sport so it's not as crazy as as it sounds because he he grew up in you know in the english countryside with heavy exposure to horses and racing and riding so and in 12 he's light enough to enter an official event like the people have put money on this event a haydock and he's won and he's 12 that is mad. Like, what did you want when you were 12? I won a certificate for full attendance at school. Oh, I don't think I'd won anything. Maybe a swimming badge? Probably a swimming badge. <laughs> a swimming badge. 
much. Yeah, like, you know, you did yeah. your 500 metres. A five, that's quite a lot. Yeah, but so he's won and, and a fit, like, great start to his life. Surely it's downhill from here. But no, by the time he was 18, he won the Epsom Derby. Nice. Two solid, solid wins to start off, and he's barely an adult. The person I'm talking about is Lester Piggott. Famous, famous, famous man. Uh, the other famous Leicester won the Premier League in 2016. And they liked the odds as well. They they were against all the odds uh, and perhaps one of a kind as well. Yeah, because they enough. might never win again. But um, I need to take a deep breath here because he's 12, then he's 18. He's won two things. Yeah, big deal. All right, Leicester, calm down. I'm going to read his career's achievements. <laughs> <gasps> and breathe in. <laughs> He won the Epsom Derby nine times. He won the Oaks six times. He won the 2,000 Guineas five times. He won the 1,000 Guineas twice. He won the St. Ledger eight times. He was champion jockey 11 times. That means he's the best jockey of that year. 11 times. 1960, 64, 65, 66, 67, 68, 69, 70, 71, 81. Wow. Break. 82. Nice. He had a holiday. Ascot Gold Cup 11 times, Champion Stakes 5 times, Coronation Stakes 5 times, July Cup 10 times, King George 7 times, Locking Stakes 6 times, Sussex Stakes, I have to be careful saying that, 6 times, Pre de Arclea de Triumph 3 times, German Derby, who knew the Germans had a derby? Three times, Irish Derby 3 times, Irish 2000 Guineas 3 times, and the Breeders' Cup only once. Oh. I think that's because, you know, if you went round to someone's house and they said, do you want a cup of tea? Do you mind? We've only got the Breeders' Cup. <laughs> You'd only have one cup of tea in that house, would you? <laughs> Nobody goes back to the Breeders' Cup. So, <laughs> so he's decorated. Slightly. Yeah. The, like the wins for him just keep coming and coming and coming. Considering he started off with his first win in 1947. Fast forward to 1982, where he's champion jockey. That is a span yes. to be at the top of your game. Now, when he won the Epsom Derby when he was 18 in 1954, he went on to win that another eight times. Like This is an extraordinary effort. Now, obviously, it's kind of dependent upon the horse that you're riding as well yeah. and the trainers and everything else around it. But he must be good to be getting the best horses. Exactly. So there is a combination of best trainers and uh, investments as well, like people buying horses with him in mind to ride them and all of those type of things that happen. Now, over the course of his career, he took part in 4,493 races, which he won. (laughs) So they're the ones he won. Wow. That is unreal, isn't it? Like, 4,004, I have to read that figure so many, 4,493 wins. Like, I thought that was his career races Mm. and he won. Do we know how many races he actually had? I can't even. Not many more, I'm guessing. I can't even begin to think whether, like, what what his strike percentage rate, I couldn't find it out there. And it'd probably just take too long for somebody. He was known as the Longfellow because what was interesting about Lester Piggott is that he was five foot eight. So he's pretty tall for a jockey. That's big, right? Yeah. So he's really quite tall for a jockey. And the weird thing is that he was about, for his whole lifetime as a jockey, 
he was about 30 pounds underweight. So he only weighed about 51 kilos. Wow. Which is a significant amount yeah. of weight to keep off. I mean, I was talking to a doctor to research this and I know the lengths I will go to. <laughs> I, I was talking to a doctor researcher and they said that it would take a lot for a, a female to keep that weight off. For a man, it's extraordinarily difficult to keep that percentage of weight. Right. And he managed it for the whole of his career. He's like going 51. So he's competing in races, which are, you know, the limits are kind of not around the nine stone mark, which is just amazing for a man of his height, really slender. And it Did that of, give him an advantage to be? Well, it, it kind of made him develop a certain type of technique. Mm-hmm. And he probably did have an advantage when you could whip horses as well, because his reach was more than other uh-huh. jockeys. Yeah. And these are the days uh, when he was in his at his peak, uh, which was for about 20 years, <laughs> that, um, you know, the animal rights, animal cruelty, uh, we, we weren't as informed, I'd say that. And uh, you could really go to town on a, on a horse uh, in, the, in the back straight of a race. So it probably did give him advantage in terms of where he could reach and, and where he could uh, hit the horse as right. well. Uh, probably as opposed to other jockeys who were probably the, you know, um, might've been a bit different in terms of how long their legs were as well, in yep. terms of getting around the horse in a saddle. The amazing thing about Lester Piggott, apart from all of these wins is probably the pinnacle of his career in terms of, doing something as a one-off which nobody else has done since the second world war and possibly nobody will ever do again and that is win the english three crowns now the three crowns is you have to win the 2000 guineas the epsom derby and saint ledger races in the same year the reason the english triple crown is so difficult to win is because everything has to fall into place for you to be able to do this. The races aren't in close sequence. So one's in May, one's in June, one's mid-September. So for you to get everything together and the horse as well to be in good condition Mm. across the span of the the year is very difficult. The other thing that adds to this problematic triple crown is the style of racing at the first one 2000 guineas takes place in may that's a mile straight takes place at newmarket and you just basically out of the traps go and run straight on fairly flat, flat ground it's 1609 meters in june the derby which is run at epsom that's a mile and a half and at epsom the terrain is quite varied and so it adds another dimension to it and you're also going around a corner. It's not a straight race. Mm-hmm. It's still a flat. But the distance is 2,423 metres. So it's significantly longer. So yeah. you know, anyone who knows anything about horse racing is that you have horses that are might well be capable at a certain distance, but you put, put another 200 metres on and that horse is nowhere. Yeah. So to have a horse that's capable of going from a mile to a mile and a half... And then the other problematic thing is the last race of the of the Triple Crown is the September race, St. Ledger. It's a one and three quarter miles. So it's 2,937 metres. Uh, they race it at Doncaster. All flat racing. 
But again, hugely problematic to be able to get everything in place. Yeah. Horse healthy, jockey healthy, and to run over these distances and to have that variety. So you can't change horses to win the Triple Crown then? No, it's the same horse. And only 15 horses in history have done this. Mm -hmm. Bearing in mind that horse racing has been going in an organized form since the 18th century, where the measurements may be a bit out, where other things might have been in play and might not have been so regulated as well. So this, in 1970, Lester Piggott, he rides a horse called Nijinsky, which is a beautiful name after a Russian dancer. Nijinsky uh, is a Canadian-bred horse trained by an Irish guy. He's thought to be now the most versatile and greatest flat racehorse in the 20th century. And his Irish trainer fed him on a diet of raw eggs and Irish stout, (laughs) reportedly. I mean, that's that's amazing. That's how I want to be remembered. (laughs) It's like... Allegedly. Do you mix them together or do you have a cocktail? You have the eggs and the the stout together or do you just... You have them separate? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what horses go for. No, you don't I, I think they'd definitely go for, for a Guinness, wouldn't they? Nijinsky, he gets transported over to the UK. He's ready to run in the 2000 guineas. Now, Lester Piggott is riding him, who's by this stage in very fine form after dominating the decade as being champion jockey. And he races in the 2000 guineas at Newmarket and... It looks pretty simple. He races on the flat and he's there kind of all the way and just almost at a canter. The last couple of furlongs, he really just waltzes over the line. Easy. And the Jinsky. But at this stage, no one's thinking the Triple Crown's on. No, you know, they're the thinking he's won, he's won a race. Yeah. But things get much more interesting in the June when in the Epsom Derby, which is a very famous race in in England and very uh, high amounts of money are betted on this race as well. But this over a mile and a half, you know, and the difficulty of, difficulty of the terrain at Epsom, again, he kind of just blasts away his opposition and is able to win almost at a canter. Fantastic. Leicester Piggott is doing fine. However, the next race, the Triple Crown's on. But remember, nobody's done the Triple Crown since 1935. So the odds are still pretty long. Yeah, of course. Just before the mid-September, before the St. Ledger race, eyes are on Nijinsky and Lester Piggott to take out the Triple Crown here. But Nijinsky gets ringworm. So it throws off his whole training schedule. There's panic and there's thoughts that he might not be able to race. There's also panic because... Who's Piggott going to, which horse is he going to race? Yeah. Is he going to be a jockey to do like the almost trip crown with a different horse or what happens? Nijinsky, just before the race, a couple of days before the race, gets back to full health and blasts the field away again. Unbelievable it could win the thing anyway. But, you know, coming back from ringworm... Is that it? Would that be serious for a horse? I mean, I'm guessing. I think the only the biggest impact it had was on his training schedule. Uh-huh. So maybe not his overall health. Like it's not a great, but he just couldn't be out doing the intense 
um, training that he should have been doing. And just the variety going from 1600 meters to almost 3000 meters. I mean, it's like the equivalent of like a Usain Bolt being able to run the hundred meters and the marathon. <laughs> like, yeah. You like, you hear the odd, you know, 800 meter runner being able to do the 1500, but there's not many. And there's certainly not many 800 meter runners who can run 10,000 meters no. at like, and win. Yeah. Yeah. Cause your body's not built like that. Nijinsky was the horse that was just built for all purposes, for all types. It's extraordinary, the achievements. And Lester Piggott, the man to ride him as well. Like, you think the Triple Crown has never been achieved since. Mm. The only horse that's got close is Camelot. And that was in 2012. And sadly, Camelot won the 2000 Guineas, won the Epsom Derby, finished second. Same oh. match. <laughs> like, if you finished third or fourth, you'd be like, ah, oh, that's all right. But second's worse, second's isn't it? Second's worse, isn't it? And, and only three horses since have won two of the races. Right. So exceptionally difficult to do. And uh, a horse in 2006, 2007 was specifically trained to win the Triple Crown. Really, they were teaming because up. well, the problem was the problem is in modern racing is that most horses, because most of the money is in the sprinting and the fast race, most of the horses that attract investment money are the sprinters. So the the horses that can run three thousand meters are not attractive. So nobody breeds them. Mm-hmm. Someone thought, well, I'm going to there's a gap in the market there i'm going to try and breed a horse that can do multiple distances or you know at least have a crack at it and tio philo in 2006-2007 season they trained him to win and before the first race 2000 guineas a new market pulled out two days before never raced again why just because he's a bit sad no. why the long face <laughs> Surely, the, if, there's a, if there's a market there for Teofilo, there's a market there for all horses, no? I just think it, no, because uh, there's so much money in sprints and in fast and short race. Why do it? Like, why spend all your time unless you are an enthusiast? Like, uh, unless you have means as well to yeah. do it. And so it's, it's not a it's, poor man's sport, is it? No, 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 no. And it's just not fashionable anymore. So there is a chance that this feat will never be achieved again going forward unless the money changes in the sport and things but change anyway, but from you say that down. though but surely this as the standard drops it's dropping across the whole field so even if the the quality is not as good in the 3000 if anything just one good horse could win them all yeah so yeah. maybe it'll be more likely if standards drop if, if that makes sense i suppose the difficulty is as well is that you've got other races interfering with great like you know like the grand national is a steeplechase over fences and you want to win the grand national because it's the greatest steeplechase in the world your horse might you don't want your horse running in the 2000 guineas or you know you might not want your horse in other races yeah. run, racing you know so it's it's 
quite complicated. And also you've got the um, other flying ointments, which is the international scene where you can go to India or you can go to Dubai or you can go to Australia and America and win huge amounts of money as well. But you ship your horse over. I can't, I can't, I think that's mad that they ship horses around the world. It's incredible. Even like for equestrian and things like that, you, they, they ship the horses. And they, when Melbourne had the Olympics in 1956, there was a problem with uh, quarantine. So they couldn't get the horses over. So they had to hold all the horse and race and events elsewhere. What, outside, yeah, what, outside, outside of Melbourne? Yeah, yeah, outside, outside of, of Australia. Look, we can fact check this uh and I would welcome anyone's fact check, but from memory, I think they actually had the equestrian like events and things and dressage in Norway. <laughs> I might just be making that up, but <laughs> pretty, pretty sure we'll we'll revisit that in a future episode. Um, Lester Piggott, let's get back to the jockey. Born in 1935, he finishes at a ripe old age of 50 in 1985. He's done, his career's over, but it's not. Because five years later, he's back in the saddle. 1990, he makes a comeback. Now, I probably just need to put a little footnote in here and just say that uh, Lester may have had a little break uh, because he was uh, staying at Her Majesty's pleasure in uh, in prison. He got three years for tax evasion. Uh, he only served about 12 months or so, just over a year, I think. Um a bit naughty. To, it's pretty serious to get a prison sentence for the, for that type of crime. Uh, Fairly naughty. And he also got his uh, his. I think he won an OBE, which he got stripped of as well. Rightly so. Yeah, because he went so a little bit of tarnished at the end of his career. But you know, he's in his fifties. Nineteen ninety makes his comeback to full professional horse racing, which is. Bonkers, isn't he? 55? Yeah, that's mad. He's a bit short. Well, I was going to say, he... surely he's made enough money, but that's why he was in prison. <laughs> so, but, but as well, things like his weight and his fitness, surely being in prison is going to have a, even if just for 12 months, at that age, that's going to have a huge impact, you would have thought. And just being older, like your joints, your vision, everything, you, you know, your fatigue. I'm 35 and my back's sore now. <laughs> yeah, and you don't have to ride a horse. I don't have to ride to a work. horse, no. So, uh, like, amazing. And I suppose when a, someone comes back into the sport at that age, you can't. your heart sinks because this is a guy who dominated the sport. Like, he was champion jockey 11 years. And you think... He shouldn't be doing this. He's going to, you know, may, maybe fall on his face, maybe uh, die on the, you know, a, a jockey's a high risk or yeah. get a serious injury, you know, have a con- lapse of concentration or because he's not feeling quite right or whatever. You know, that can happen to a young man. Never mind a man 55, 57, 1992. He goes out and wins the 2000 guineas. Still going. <laughs> the The first race of the triple crown wow so just extraordinary i mean would, would he be the only jockey who sort of raced to that age or yeah i the i don't know exactly i can't say for definite but there just cannot be like he won in 1992 a 57 but he wasn't done <laughs> he rode the last winner of his 4000 
493 wins across his career in October 1994, age 59. Stop it. Age 59. Oh my goodness. He won his first race in 1947. 12 years old. And he's, it's 1994. And he's just won. I mean, that's ridiculous. (laughs) Isn't it silly? It's just mad that, well, like, I don't even know what to say. Stop it. It's it's so hard to comprehend because, like, we're both mid-30s and both of us are feeling the burn one way or the other because of eight. Like, it starts to get to a point where it starts to tick and you say, okay, yeah, I I can't do the things that I used to be able to. With 35? Yeah, he can. 35, 36 years old. He's nearly 60. That's unreal. Like, even the thoughts of getting on the horse, getting off the horse... But riding it to a bloody win yeah, in a pro. Fantastic. Like he was still going out to Australia, going out to India, winning races. And it was just extraordinary. So uh, you just think he should have been put out to pasture like the horse, but he didn't <laughs> want to go to the glue factory and he didn't. He served his time in prison. He'd been stripped of his OBE from 1975. He had all of these brilliant achievements to fall back upon. And what an amazing one of a kind. But probably I'll finish with uh, probably his greatest achievement was riding Nijinsky. He really put Nijinsky in the limelight as well. So much so that in Series 3 of Only Fools and Horses, <laughs> Only Fools and Horses, the wonderful British sitcom, Episode 1 of Series 3, the granddad's getting his legs checked by the doctor in that episode. And uh, the doctor says, you've got legs like Nijinsky. Wow. And then the doctor explains, the racehorse, not the dancer. <laughs> <laughs> so, so for that alone, thank you, Lester Piggott. And what a story what for a, what a one of a kind. Absolutely incredible. I just, it's one of those where you just think, what? Is there nothing else going on in your life that you should be doing? Yeah, like just winning over four thousand races. That's I mean, that's that's good. Like, but come on, man, you could kill yourself. Get off that horse, <laughs> and maybe spend a bit more time with your accountant. Yeah, exactly. Or less time with your accountant, depending on your accountant. Is. <laughs> so that Unreal. is the story of Lester Piggott, one of a kind, and the first one of a kind on Wheel of Sport. Maybe it'll make an appearance in future episodes. Please give us a review on whichever platform you listen to the podcast on. Follow us on Instagram at The Wheel of Sport or Twitter at The Wheel of Sport and share it with your friends. Tell your friends about The Wheel of Sport. That's the best way. It's going to get out there to more and more people. And thank you so much for listening. It's a real pleasure to bring these to you every couple of weeks. Thanks, Matt. Thank you so much. Excellent. See you next time. Bye. You're 81 now, Lester, but uh, you're reasonably fit. When is the third Lester Pickett career beginning? <laughs> you coming back again? <laughs> well, you never know, do you? <laughs> <laughs>